0: Anyway, Happy New Year. Adam already said this, and I also want to wish you a Happy New Year. We're in day two of 2022, and I want to ask, how's it going? Okay, good. (laughs) I know for some of us that may not be the case because 2021 did butt up against 2022, right? It's not like we had a little bit of a break in between. I also want to know how many of you are making... Here we go. The New Year's resolutions. You thought this was maybe not going to happen this year because pandemic. How many of you are making New Year's resolutions? This is interactive. Okay, good. When I did some research on this, uh, the research I found showed that about 25% of us Americans are making resolutions this year. So that seemed to be about right. And I have a list of some of the most common resolutions, so I'm going to read through them. One, exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn a new skill or hobby, live life to the fullest, I like that one, save more money or spend less money, whichever way you need to go, quit smoking, spend time with family and friends, although pandemic, and then travel more again, pandemic. But to me, those sounded a lot like things we did during 2021, weren't they? A lot of us learned new skills, we tried new things, and for a brief window of time, we got to see our friends and family that we hadn't seen in a while. Well, I want to share about a New Year's resolution I made a few years ago. It might not be the most exciting for you, so just bear with me. But if you know me, you will totally understand. It will not come to any kind of surprise. When we moved here from Illinois to Massachusetts in 2018, something happened. I don't know, call it busyness, call it worry, call it change, whatever you want to describe it as. But I did not read a lot that that year. I love books. I was the one as a child, we would go to the library whenever possible. In fact, I loved libraries so much. I can't believe I'm admitting this to you. I loved a library so much, they actually created one in my bedroom closet when I was about 10. I made my own Dewey Decimal system. For those of you who are younger, don't worry about it. I organized everything. I had shelves, I had the ones that could be borrowed. I even May, I can't believe I'm confessing all this to you. I even made little cards, and I put them in, in the front of the book so that if a friend of mine wanted to come over, go in my closet, and check out a book, they could, and then I would know who had it. Then I had on the bottom shelf, I had the favorite, don't touch, these are mine, you know, you know those books. Yes, I was that child. Well, as I grew, so did my dream to own my own library. I thought about showing a picture of the movie Beauty and the Beast, the library, Beast's library, some of you know, the, the original version, not the most recent one. That just, oh, if I could have something like that. My husband sitting over there will attest that I'm on my way, as we counted, I think it was about 38 boxes of books that we hauled from Massachusetts, from Illinois, to Massachusetts, and we've hauled them around twice because we moved a second time since we've lived here. 38 boxes, and I've probably added more since then. As 2019 began, because remember, in 2018, I didn't read a lot. As 2019 began, I knew I wanted to read more. Reading fuels me. I love stories. I love diving into other people's stories, whether they're nonfiction, biography, whether they're made up by something. I just, there's something about the power of story. So I set a goal. Now, if you know me, you also might realize I'm not necessarily the most goal-oriented person. If you do the Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP. P means you can leave things undone. You can live in the world of gray. No dotting I's and crossing T's here. It doesn't happen. (laughs) But I knew I wanted to read, so I set a goal of reading 50 books that year. Now, in the past, that wouldn't have been a big deal, but 2018, I think I read, like, three. So that was a huge step. It took intentional planning, but I hit it. I made that goal. Then I decided for 2020, pre-pandemic, I would up it to 65 books. And thank you, pandemic, I not only hit 65 books, but I passed it. Not to sound like I'm bragging or anything, but it was quite the accomplishment. (laughs) So then in 2021, because still pandemic... Things are slower, I decided to set a goal of reading 70 books, and two days ago, because it was the end of 2021, I finished my 74th book. So, yes, again, I am that person, and I am a nerd, and that's okay. Like achieving any goal, I found that when I made an intentional decision to keep that goal in front of me throughout the entire year, I not only achieved it, But my capacity grew. Okay, some of you may be wondering, why are you sharing about reading? I don't like books. I don't think I've picked up a book since high school in 1964. What's the point? Well, I want to talk about the fact that decisions matter. We try our hand at making new ones with each turn of the calendar year. We see people reach their goals and even surpass them And we wonder how we can get their ending. And we want to skip what happens in the middle. Sometimes we watch those sports commercials and we see them earn the gold, win the race. All the things happen and sometimes we don't see the work that's done in between. But it feels like more lately we're starting to see the hard work and determination it takes to reach that goal. Intentional decisions. That's what I want to talk with you about this morning, the gift of making a decision. Only instead of discussing New Year's resolutions, we won't go there now, I want to talk about a decision that is so much more life-altering, even eternity impacting. That decision, trusting God. Now, I know some of you are sitting here going, done, check, I already know how to do that, and that's great. I want to encourage you to keep going. But I want to talk about trusting God over the long haul, no matter what. And we're going to explore this through the life and story of one of my favorite biblical characters, next to Jesus, of course, (laughs) but one of my favorite Bible characters, Joseph. So before we dive in, if you would pray with me. Lord, I am so grateful for your word. I am grateful for the gift of story. I am grateful that your word tells us not only one person's story, but the story of all humanity, and Lord, the story of your love for us. And so as we listen, as we learn, as we dive into Joseph's story, I pray for hearts to open, for minds to be willing to learn something new, and above all, Holy Spirit, for you to transform hearts so they would experience your grace and your love and your mercy. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, as we get started, I'm going to address three groups of people because as I was spending some time thinking and praying, I feel like there might be about three groups of people sitting here listening online, um, and I'm going to talk about each one here. First group, your in a season of doubt. Right now, you're actually struggling to believe anything about God, about Jesus, about the Bible. Maybe at one time you did believe in Jesus, or maybe you've never made that decision before. But right now, quite frankly, you don't know what to believe. You have doubts and questions, but since you're here today, or you're listening online, there's a curiosity of wanting to know more. There's a curiosity under that doubt. If this describes you on your journey today, I am so glad you're here because this story is for you. Then a second group you're in a hard place right now. You trust God, but it's been shaky because, quite honestly, life hurts. You're weary, you're grieving. You're grieving what was, you're grieving the loss of people you love, you're grieving the loss of relationship, and you're just struggling to keep going. I'm so glad you're here too because this story is also for you. Okay, and then there's a third group. You're pressing on. Maybe you've experienced doubt and hardship in the past, but you find yourself on the other side of it. For you, It might be tempting to simply check out, to sit back, to maybe think about your to-do list later today. Because you've got this idea of—you've mastered the idea of trusting God, and maybe you have, and I want to celebrate that with you. But I also believe that this story is for you. Okay, Joseph, let's dive in. Joseph, I know this is a common story, a well-known story, but we're going to spend a time—because I love story— And because I have the microphone, we're going to talk about his life for a bit. And I'm going to weave in some other stories along with that. Joseph's story begins in Genesis in the book, chapter 37, and it continues through chapter 50. Now, for time's sake, I'm not going to open my Bible and start reading every bit with you because that's a lot of time and a lot of chapters to to cover. But I am going to tell you a good portion of his story. See, Joseph's story picks up when he's 17 years old. In the opening verses of chapter 37, we learn that Joseph's father's name is Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. Abraham's the one that God had promised to give as many descendants, descendants as there were stars in the sky. Genesis 37.3 sets the tone for the beginning of Joseph's life. Are you ready for this? Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Now, they might not be too much of a problem as parents. I've raised seven children. I love my children. There's no doubt in that. But would I say I love more one than the other? One of them who's not here would tell you yes. (laughs) But that creates problems, doesn't it? Jacob set the tone for his family And I wonder what their family meals were like with that as the undercurrent. And then there's Joseph's coat. We all know about Joseph's coat, the one that Jacob made for Joseph to wear to show that he was the favored son. And let's be fair. Joseph did not help. Think about it. We can read that while he worked with his brothers, he also reported back to his father the bad things that they did. Joseph was a tattletale. And then came the dreams. Dreams are gifts from God. They prophesy what's going to come. But Joseph, who was only 17, didn't handle the telling of that very well. Let's look and see what Genesis, I'm going to read Genesis 37, starting at verses 5. Here's what Joseph said. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low to mine. Okay, how many of you have more than one child at home, or you have more than one sibling? Thank you for participating. Okay, could you imagine going to your siblings or having one child of yours going to the other and saying, you're going to bow down to me. Could you imagine that without context? But it didn't just happen once. It happened a second time. Here we go. Joseph, again, had another dream. And again, he told his brothers, listen, I had another dream. He said, the moon, the sun, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He said. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what those dreams meant. Now I wish scripture gave us the tone in which Joseph shared his dreams. I inflect my own tone in there. Because I think Joseph was a bit of a braggart. (laughs) But it's clear we can surmise that not only was he a bit of a braggart, it triggered his brothers to make a crucial decision. So Joseph's story continues. Because Jacob, once again, asked his favored son to check on his brothers and report back. Joseph went on his way, searching for where they they were pasturing his father's flocks. Now, when his brothers saw him approaching, they recognized him at once and made a plan to kill him. Okay, again, the children. How many of you, I'm going to kill you. Like, but we don't really expect that the children are actually going to go and kill them, right? But this is what was happening with Joseph's family. They were plotting his murder, Now one brother, fortunately Reuben, he heard of their scheme and came to Joseph's rescue. He decided instead of killing Joseph that they just throw him in an empty cistern and then Reuben was going to come back and he was going to rescue Joseph. Now can you imagine what happened next? Just imagine with me. Joseph arrives not knowing anything of his brother's plan. They rip off his robe and they throw him into that empty cistern. The shock, the surprise. I wonder what he felt laying down there below, looking up at his brothers, going, What just happened? Maybe Joseph shook his head to clear it, only to have things take an actual sharper curve. See, a caravan of traders were coming by. Judah, another brother, decided instead of hurting or killing Joseph, to sell him. Okay. Now, when I was younger, my mom used to tease me. Mom, sorry if you're hearing this. She used to tease me that she was going to sell me to the gypsies. I know politically that's probably not correct. But I promise you it never happened. I grew up in my family. All was well. Everything was fine. However, what did happen is that Joseph's brothers did sell him. The Ishmaelites came, and through one single decision, Joseph was sold as a slave for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him away to Egypt. The impact of one decision. Now I have a feeling many of you sitting here today feel like one decision has actually taken you to Egypt. Life made a sudden turn, and you not only feel disoriented, you're wondering, how did I end up here. Okay, yes, there's a pandemic happening. Yes, our country is a little bit of a turmoil. But the ones I'm speaking to today, the ones that I'm thinking about, you don't have to look outside the walls of your home to taste that turmoil. It's happening within. Maybe it's happening within your family, your work, or even within your own body, Because of circumstances, you doubt God's love. Or maybe you wonder if it was ever there in the first place. Can I just say to you today that God does see you? He knows what you're experiencing. And he's asking you to trust him. Now I have to tell you, I don't say those words lightly, and this is not a quick, easy fix. I understand and know the cost of that one seemingly simple, incredibly difficult decision made in the deepest, darkest pit. For me, it happened on a Wednesday in 2005. Life appeared to be moving along predictably until I tumbled headfirst into the darkest pit I'd ever experienced. I had left for work that morning, probably much like Joseph did as he went to search for his brothers. Nothing really out of the ordinary, kind of curious about what the day held, going along my way. Only instead of being sold as a slave, I had turned back home, because I forgot something, and found my house on fire. The sight of the smoke billowing in the sky above my home first caused bewilderment. No lie, I stood there going... What, what is that, and why is it coming from my house? My brain and my eyes were not lining up. I was only gone for 12 minutes when that happened. So I went around the side of the house to try to figure out, where is this smoke coming from? And that's when I saw the flames from the ground all the way up to the roof of the side of the house. And then reality really started to sink in. My youngest daughter, Emma, and her dad were still inside. As I came back around the front, a neighbor showed up. I told him my husband and my baby, my baby was five, my husband and my baby were still inside. He tosses me his cell phone to dial 911, and he ran into my house, my burning house. At that moment, I dropped to my knees on our driveway and begged God to find Emma. Three times that man ran inside looking for my family. He not only found her daddy and did pull him out, but he went in again searching for Emma. Meanwhile, seven fire departments showed up to fight the blaze that engulfed my home as I stood in front of it on a neighbor's driveway watching. Helpless? Afraid? Bewildered? How how did I get here? A fireman finally found my little girl. They worked on her in the ambulance and whisked her off to a hospital. A couple hours later, both she and her daddy were life-flighted to another hospital that could better take care of them, and then I met them there. Once we got to that hospital, friends and family started to show up as the news spread. I paced the hallways, praying, disbelieving, replaying over and over, what, what, what is going on here? And as I walked those hallways, and I can still picture this ugly blue carpet. Why do hospitals do that? It really was this ugly swirl. I kept staring at this carpet, and I I felt this, I don't know what it was. Now I know it's the Holy Spirit, in me, asking me, do you trust me? I was walking with my mom, And I remember I had to say out loud, no matter what happens, I trust you. If Emma lives or dies, I trust you. And do you know why I was able to make that decision? One, obviously, because of the Holy Spirit. Because on my own, if as parents, we all think this, if something happened to our kids, just bury me next to them, I'm done. That's how I thought I would respond. But I believe in that moment when I made a decision to trust, something supernatural happened and I didn't collapse and I kept pressing on. And part of that reason is because I love Joseph's story. I love Jesus, but I love Joseph's story. And here's why. Psalm 105, mark this down, Psalm 105. If there's ever a psalm to read, read Psalm 105. It tells Joseph's story from a different perspective. Verses 16 to 19 say this. He, God, called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came... For him to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. This is not in my notes, but I want to say this. I don't know who needs to hear this. But someone, if you're experiencing something right now and it's beyond hard, God is not punishing you. It's not because of something you did. There are natural consequences to sin and bad choices but God is not punishing you because of a decision you made in the past. God absolutely loves you. See, God not only saw what Joseph was experiencing, somehow in his perfect sovereignty and plan, God was working out all of the details of Joseph's life, even the pit, even being sold as a slave, to unfold God's glorious plan of salvation. Only Joseph didn't know that he still needed to live each moment of each day and so do you and so do I you see a little while after pacing that hallway and making the decision to trust God no matter what a doctor came and told me Emma was not going to survive now if my life were a movie I would have written the script Kim trusted and Emma lived because that's the happily ever after we want right Except that's not the happily ever after right now. I believe there's a longer plan involved. I believe there's a daily decision that we have to make to trust God. Paul talks it about dying to self. That somehow God weaves that together through the joys and the sorrows of our life. All to lead us to a glorious ending. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're going to put this on the screen. I know many of, the, of you know this, but I also know we have to read it in context of what we're talking about. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. It does not read, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and I will figure everything out. And I'm going to know what happens. Trusting God without trusting ourselves or at least our own understanding feels like one of the scariest decisions you can ever make. But almost 17 years, amazing, almost 17 years have passed since that day in the hospital when I chose, made a declaration to trust God no matter what. And I can tell you, life didn't necessarily get easier I wish it did. I really wish it did. (laughs) Let's be real. But it was the best decision I ever made. But to tell you, we need to jump back into Joseph's story. Okay, Joseph was traveling to Egypt. He was now a slave. Genesis 39, 1 through 3, we have that, right? Here's what it tells us. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar. An Egyptian officer, Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Scripture does not say that Joseph was freed and lived on his own and lived happily ever after. The Bible tells us that in the middle of being a slave, God was with him and blessed him in everything that he did. Remember what I said about God seeing us? God saw Joseph. He knew right where he was. But God not only saw Joseph, God was blessing him, blessing him through his work. Gosh, I wish the Bible told us What Joseph was thinking and feeling. Wouldn't that make it easier sometimes? And then Joseph sat and cried for four days straight because life was terrible. Why doesn't the Bible tell us that? But here's what we can see. One, Joseph was human, so he probably cried. I'd like to think he was strong enough as a man to let those tears shed. And we also know that the work God was doing in Joseph was also being shown through Joseph. Let me say that again. The work that God was doing in Joseph was also being shown through Joseph. Potiphar noticed. Did you catch that in that passage? Joseph was faithful to the work set before him, no matter how difficult how he felt, but it was his integrity and his faithfulness at that moment that mattered. Potiphar then noticed and increased Joseph's responsibilities, from a slave to a personal assistant to being put in charge of his entire household, everything that he owned. As Joseph did his part, God blessed him and blessed Potiphar's entire household. Friends, what we do matters. Not just what happens here on a Sunday morning, but what we do outside of these walls, they Matter. It is possible for you to bear witness to the sustainer of all creation when you respond and how you respond to your trials. Okay, now hear me. I'm not talking about being fake. If you know me, you know that. I'm not talking about pulling up your bootstraps, although I tried that for a little while. It doesn't work very well. I'm not talking about wearing a mask or... Pressing on just because it's the right thing to do, although there's something slightly correct to that in obedience. Read the Psalms. They're filled with lament about our emotions. They're filled with stories about fear, but turning in the fear, turning and trusting God no matter what. Because when you make that decision to trust God, people do notice, but they're noticing the work God is doing through you. As I said before, also know, side note, just because God is working through you and doing the work in you, it doesn't necessarily guarantee a smooth life later. I kind of thought that for a while. I thought, this is my one thing. Like, this was, Lord, you know, this was kind of a big deal. You know, we lost everything, the house, the stuff. Emma, I trusted you. Like, do you ever have conversations with God like that? Like, hello, I trusted you. I did my part. Why is life still hard? Because it was. But Joseph had it hard too. Because here's what, remember the story. He's at Potiphar's house. What happens next? Dun, dun, dun. Potiphar's wife, right? What happened? Potiphar's wife saw Joseph. Wink, wink. Let's talk to him. You can read more into that. You understand. Joseph, being the man of integrity, refused her. But here's what he said. He said in Genesis 39.9, why did he do that? How could I do a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. It wasn't, gosh, I would look like a terrible person. Oh, gosh, that would really be bad against Potiphar. He did so much for me. I was a slave. It was against God. And fortunately, we read that Potiphar's wife agreed. She apologized and backed away, right? No. That's not what happened. She was furious. Until one day she cornered Joseph, grabbed his cloak, demanding that she do exactly what he asked. And the Bible tells us that he tore himself away, leaving his cloak behind, and then Potiphar's wife herself made a decision. She accused Joseph of attacking her, holding onto his cloak as proof. And then Potiphar found out and we know that he got thrown into prison. I wish I could tell you that after my daughter died, everything worked out. That we, my, my husband and I worked on our marriage. That we both pres- trusted God with our shattered hearts. I wish I could tell you that the only hard part that happened during that time was burying my five-year-old daughter's body. And losing our home. Because <laughs> there was that. But I can't because it didn't. The years that followed that fire were dark years. I could have easily turned from God in pain and bitterness, wondering how so much heartache could be allowed. I know that's possible because I was on the brink. Days passed as I struggled to keep my head above water, let alone my faith in a God who felt like he didn't care. And so I kept praying because I made that decision. I took a moment, I took time. If I, I'm a journaler. If you read through my journals at that time, you would have seen I begged God because I had read something in, Psalm, in the Psalms 27 that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living after my daughter died. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the, in the land of the living after my house burned down. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living after my marriage fell apart. I begged God to show me his goodness. I got conceited about asking God to show me his goodness because I wanted to see it. I needed to believe that God's goodness was somehow greater than what happened. And let me tell you what happened was bad. Like every story, there's more to the story that isn't told. And he showed it. He showed it in simple ways, circumstances. That man that ran into my house, four times total, he had actually left that morning, was going to work. We lived on opposite sides of the neighborhood. He left. He forgot something. His phone. That was the phone that he tossed to me to call 911. turns out he was also the father of a friend of my oldest daughter's that I didn't know. Goodness, our home was rebuilt. People rallied together and donated money and time, and our old house was torn down, and a beautiful new house was built. Pictures were saved that should not have been saved. Good, good things. But you know what the (laughs) good English, the gooder things were? (laughs) The better things? God revealed his patience, God revealed his kindness. God revealed his absolute mercy. God brought his word to life through the story of Joseph and throughout the entire scriptures. God revealed himself in those darkest days. Psalm 105. But the Lord was testing Joseph's character because he had a job for Joseph to do. Think about the skills that Joseph learned while he was taking care of Potiphar's house. Think about the skills that he learned while he was taking care of the prison. Think about all the things that—think about the difficult people in that job. (laughs) Think about all the things that Joseph not only practiced— but that made a difference. I will tell you, I wish I understood how it all worked, though. Right? I wish I knew this is what happened, this is what I do, and this is what the outcome is going to be. I wish I knew why Emma had to die. Why I've had to live ooh, without her. She, her birthday's coming up. She'd be 22 years old. I have no idea what she would look like. Although I look at my oldest daughter and I go, hmm, probably pretty similar. I have no idea what her interests would be. She'd probably, hopefully, be senior year of college. I don't know what she'd be graduating with. I wish I understood. But Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? We're trusting God and not leaning on our own understanding. But that doesn't mean that I stop trusting God. Because it's drawn me closer to the heart of God. Now the story of Joseph continues, and for time's sake, I'm going to let you read the rest of the story. We know that Joseph told dreams to a chief baker and a cupbearer, Then he met Pharaoh, he became second in command, and lo and behold, his family shows up because of the famine that, remember, in Psalm 105, God had promised. The famine did come because God said it was so, and Joseph was in charge because God said it was so. Pharaoh was used and put into place, but God said that was what was going to happen. And then his family shows up because they had heard that Egypt had food for them. Do you remember Psalm 105? God had planned for Joseph to take care of his people. The story keeps getting better. You know how it goes because this is the part we usually tell when it comes to Joseph. There's reconciliation with his brothers. There's joy in realizing that Joseph, who they thought was dead was actually alive. That Jacob, who thought his favorite son had died, I'm telling you, again, Emma has died. If someone were suddenly to show up and be like, I'm Emma, the joy that would fill me. I can't even explain. <laughs> but I have to tell you something. As much as that's the good part of the story, that's actually not the end of the story. So often we stop right there. Yay, happily ever after. It all works out in the end, even because God said it was so. But here's the passage that I want you to consider. Consider Hebrews 11. I think we have that on the screen. Here's what it says in Hebrews 11. This is a chapter about the heroes of faith. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He said confidently that the people of Israel would lead to Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Joseph knew God's ultimate plan was not for the people to stay in Egypt and have life be great. That was only part of the story. Because if you continue to read the Israelite story, you know that they did continue to live in Egypt after Joseph died. And over time, people forgot what Joseph had done. And Joseph's family continued to grow. In fact, they grew so much and so many that the Egyptians were afraid they'd actually take over. And because of that fear, they became enslaved, just as Joseph had been. They were beaten and abused and in desperate need of rescue. And if you know where that story goes, his name is Moses. Joseph lived during one part of Israel's history, carrying a great responsibility for one time. He trusted God and God blessed him and blessed his people, just as God had intended. But Joseph's eyes weren't fixed on that part of the end of the story. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. He was looking towards something greater. And I think that's the greatest part that Joseph's story has taught me. Where are my eyes fixed? Yes, I'm choosing to trust God in the hardship, but where are they fixed on? What are they fixed on? Yes, they're fixed on Jesus every single day. But am I looking for my happily ever after for everything to work out here? Life did shift. I remarried a man who's sitting right over there who's pretty awesome. I would say by earthly standards, life is pretty good right now. But this isn't the end of the story. I don't want my happily ever after to go, woohoo, we've got a place to live and we have all the good things happening. No, there's another part of the story that I want to encourage and challenge you to consider. Revelation 21. Adam actually shared this on his Facebook page the other day. Here's what we're looking towards. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Friends, that's where we fix our eyes. We make a decision to to trust God because not only for us to grow to become more like Jesus, not only because Other people are watching. Other people's houses are burning down. Other people's lives are falling apart. And other people need hope. And for those of us who know and love and believe in Jesus, they need what we have. And for our part, we need to make sure that we're fixing our eyes on the one who changes everything, who transforms everything, even a parent's greatest fear, even seemingly loss of everything. God can use that for his good, for his glory and for the good of other people. Okay, three groups of people. If you're struggling, if you're doubting, ask questions. God can handle them. If you're hurting. Ask for prayer. Ask for help. This is a great place for healing. Trust people to walk beside you. And if you're in a place that is good, we celebrate with you. And I challenge you to help someone else. Let someone else hear your story of transformation. Let someone else hear what God has done in your life. Don't just keep it all to yourself. And for all of us, may we remember to set our eyes on things not working out necessarily perfectly here on earth, but that they're fixed on the promise of Christ's return when we get to dwell with him forever and there is no more sorrow and no more pain. Oh, for that day. (laughs) And it all begins with a decision to trust no matter what over the long haul. Let me pray for you. Lord, you are good, and your love endures forever. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room and those watching online. Lord, for those who need hope, I pray, Jesus, that you are their hope. For those that need healing, great physician, may you touch their hearts and their minds and their bodies And Holy Spirit, may you give us the courage to trust for the long haul. Not because of anything that we do, but because you are kind and loving and gracious. And you love us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.